wow, when I heard you guys singing the today, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, I heard us singing together. And it was totally awesome. I, I just wanted to mention that. I, we're kind of going that direction today in the, in the message. And I just wanted to mention that, that the holy beings before God fall down before Him and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you guys were doing that today too. It's kind of warm up for eternity, I think. But uh, thank you so much for leading us in song. It was very good. So as we continue in this tradition, I, I, I like to kind of explain some things about reading Scripture and understanding Scripture so that it can dwell richly within our heart. And, and as you remember last time I had the uh, opportunity to speak, we, we talked about the context of Scripture and how it impacts the meaning of different words and how different words can have a range of meanings. Remember we talked about, about the word world? And how that word can mean like, you know, Wayne's World, just like a group of people. Not talking about Wayne here, but the other Wayne. Um, or it can mean like the celestial globe. It can mean a lot of different things. And the Greek and the English kind of had parallel ranges of meanings. And the context brings out the range of meanings. And we also discussed how understanding the text really means in its original context. In other words, you can't say take what was written 2,000 years ago and say, well, this is what it means to me. And this is a common mistake in hermeneutics, I'll use a big word there, but in understanding what the scripture means, it's a common mistake that's made across the board by all of us. We all have a tendency to just look at it and read it and say, well, this is what it means to me. But if you do that and don't put it in the context from which it was written, you're taking away from the authority of the word. Because it was written to someone 2,000 years ago, you have to understand what it meant to them. And some things transfer forward and some things just don't. Because it was a first century church or it was a, a prophet from the Old Testament. and you know, uh, Some things just don't transfer forward. Other things do. And when you understand things properly and you give a full context to the Scripture and, and you let it have authority in your life, it has the ability to change you. And just this week, I, I, I had this, I don't know where I got this from. I heard it from somebody that, probably a message somewhere, but this was what I, was in my mind, is that God does not change, uh, share his glory with anybody. I heard that before. And it seems reasonable, right? Because he's God, he's creator. Why would he change why would he share his glory with anybody? He does, he's the one that deserves glory. Right? And as I wrote that down in my notes, I looked at it, and sometimes the Lord kind of like smacks it up beside the head and says, You know, is that true? Is that really true? Well, it is in a certain context, but it's not in others. Let me show you. In Isaiah 42.8, and I think this is where it comes from, the Lord says, I am the Lord, Jehovah. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. So in the context there, what he is talking about is there are these other false gods. I'm not going to share my glory with those phonies. 
Why would I? I am the only God. There is one God. I am Jehovah, and I will not share my glory with any other God. Well, that makes sense. I got that. Well, what else does it say about God sharing his glory? And this is this is just blew my mind. In 2 Thessalonians 2.14, it says, He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Huh. In Romans 8.17, it says, Now if we are children, then are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we also share in His glory. We, the church, share in the glory of Christ. Romans 8, 18-23 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God, us. For the creation was subject to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now, until now this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Oh, and he's not done yet. We are his bride. In Revelation 19, 7 and 8, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And this righteous acts that we will be clothed in is not talking about the imputed righteousness of Christ, which is important, but it's the manifest acts from the workings of God in our lives. And we will be judged by what we do and share in Christ's glory. Because we are hidden in Christ, we are abiding in Christ, we are children of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus, and even called the bride of Christ. We are in Christ fully. And I think we often focus on redemption provided by the blood of the covenant in Christ. And that is significant. That is important. That is our genesis of where we start and how we survive and how we we do things with God. But we should broaden our scope, which will better define our hope. We should get excited about following Jesus. Instead of saying, I'm no good, we should say, I'm redeemed. We were no good. We were on our, We were destined to hell. However, now you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You're a new creature, and He's making you new every day by the revealing of His Word. And, and if we understand this in full context, that, that God is glorifying us, it's not like we're greedily uh, pursuing God and wanting to be like Him like Eve did. No, we're a reflection of God's glory. God is glorifying us that we can glorify Him. We can give it back, just like Jesus did. If we understand it this way, thinking about the unimaginable generosity and love of God directed towards us in Christ Jesus. 
This is off the charts. God is providing this for us. The glory is a reflection of what he shares with us. It's a reflection of his work. And we do not greedily grasp after it like Eve did, like I said. But it's a result of his great love and generosity. We experience his glory because he has indeed shared his glory in Christ with us and will share it with us fully when we see him. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how we come to this place where we understand who we are in Christ more fully and one day we'll fully be realized. The title of the message is called A Hope Fixed on Christ Creates Purity in Our Heart. And the glory that God shares with us sanctifies us and and completes us when we see Christ. And in the past, uh, starting off in John, we covered a whole chapter. When I hit this, I said, man, we've got to pull back the throttles because these three verses are just magnificent in scope. I mean, we could talk, have a sermon in each of these verses, but I also wanted to keep them together because it shows a progression. And they're closely tied together. As Pastor Ben spoke, he said in 1 John 3, 1-3, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it does not know Him. That will be our first point. And our second point is, Beloved, now we are children of God, and has not appeared as yet what we will be, We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And that right there is something that will happen in the future. When we see him, we will be complete and we will be totally new. And right now we're starting and we walk with God. In verse 3 it says, And everyone who has this hope on him purifies himself our sanctification just as he is pure these three verses are closely tied together it is God's work in us and God gives us a vision of what will happen in the future when we see him we will be like him and because we have that hope we it can it 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 makes a way of how we walk now you know so the first point is we talk about the first verse John. It says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we will be called children of God. And such we are. God's love in Christ is an adoption and it's a gift that God gives to us. It's something that He has done for us and He gets all the credit for it. Knowing that God became man and died for your sin because of His love for His glory frees us. This perspective frees us because it's true and because it's God's work that releases us. Salvation comes by grace through faith, and you add nothing to it, to God's works. It is what He has done, and it is doing for you. As we discussed the great gift God has given to us in Christ, keep in mind God expects us to bear fruit for the kingdom. We do work because it is God at work in us. It is His work and ours through Him. It's what He is doing in us. We in the evangelical church, I think, have been told just to to be saved and sit in a pew and pay a tithe. And people measure their success by how many people they have in the church and what their budget is. That's wrong. People should measure their success in the church by the obedience of the saints and them working with God and understanding who they are in Christ. 
and understanding that Christ has a job for them to do. And, and if this is all we have is just to sit in a pew and pay a tithe, that misses the point totally. We have been released from sin to serve Christ, and we gladly serve Him because of what He has done and is doing in us. On the other side, I think religiously, if we think we deserve God's favor or salvation, we're in bondage. If you think that you deserve salvation because you did something to deserve it, you're not even saved. I'm glad that I cannot add anything to salvation because if there is one requirement for me to do, I would probably goof it up and be cast out from His presence. God has done it totally for us. It's nothing that we can add to it. Mickey and James and I were talking a couple weeks ago at Panera Bread and Mickey said something I think was quite accurate. He said that Adam and Eve were probably humanity's best uh, effort to uphold the law. They had the best chance of being successful as anybody because they didn't have a sinful nature. They didn't have a world around them that propagated sin. It was just them, the garden, God, and a tree. And don't eat from that tree right there. They had one rule. That's all they had to do. And what did they do? They followed sin. They said, oh, I want to be like God. I want to be glorified like Him. No, don't do that. If Eve just would have said, God, what the snake says, eat the apple, what do you think I ought to do? You know, could you take care of that snake for me? Oh yeah, God would have taken care of business. It would have been entirely different. You and I in our sinful situation, trying to be justified before God is an insult to Christ. You know, and this is, this is, you could have a good doctrine too, but still miss the point. You could say something like, I'm so glad, Jesus, that you left your throne in glory to become one of us and then died on a cross for my sin and rose from the grave because of my justification and then ascended to heaven and took your right seat at God and interceded on my behalf. Oh, and can I help pay for it? What did you just do? You just insulted Christ. What in the world do we have to offer to God to help pay for our salvation, our redemption? We have nothing but sin in a fallen and broken life to offer Him. He's the one who makes us entirely new. We must be made entirely new. If we think we have anything to offer God, we're insulting Him. And at worst, we're being severed from Christ. We come to Him with empty hands, broken, before God and say, Lord, I, I'll just, here I am. That's all I can offer. Here I am. Do whatever you want me to do. Just let me know. And God does that. He can use us if we have that attitude. In Galatians 5, 1 through 4, Paul had a problem with the Galatians because they were seeking to be justified by something they did. And he's, he, he channels it this way. Some of the strongest words in the Bible, Paul spoke to them about that. He says, It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under the obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. This is talking about doing something to be justified to earn salvation. In this case, it's circumcision, but it could be anything. 
There are churches, sects of Christianity, that say to be saved, you have to be baptized. Guess what? They're doing the exact same thing that the Galatian church did. There's one thing that you need to be saved, and it is to have faith in Jesus Christ, and His grace will save you. That's it. And we do things out of obedience, like baptism, because He tells us to do it. Or go out and talk to our neighbor because he tells us to do it. Or paint sharks on little kids' faces because he tells us to do it. Well, that's not actually in the Bible, but you get the idea. Right? We, we were supposed to go out and do stuff for Jesus. And it, and it brings glory to him. And the law does not tell us that we are righteous before God. The law just reveals our sin. In Galatians 3.24 it says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. We must be justified by grace through faith because we're spiritually dead. We talked about this the other week, but it needs to be reiterated that we understand the point. In Ephesians 2, 4-7 it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come He might show us the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Being dead in transgressions is more than just a legal standing before God. It's our spiritual condition before God. You're spiritually dead, separated from God. When Eve sinned, she immediately died spiritually and eventually died physically. Spiritual death is separation from God and a separation from His Holy Spirit. To be revived spiritually, we must accept the works of Christ on the cross And to receive the Holy Spirit, you must accept His authority in your life. Once accepted, then God can work with us and and make us new. Pam and I uh, were down in Alabama for a few years. And down south, they have these junkyards. Everyone has junkyards in Alabama, but some of them have cars in there. That was an Alabama joke. Sorry if anyone's... But down in Alabama, the, the, the salt... There's no salt on the road, so the cars preserve well. And I used to go around to junkyards and just look at these old cars and these junkyards just sitting there. And I, I remember once there was, I, there was this one that had a 59 El Camino. You know, with the big fins coming off when it was out, outrageous rocket. Uh, I don't know. You, under, you know what I'm talking about, right, Jeff? The 59 El Camino with the big fins coming off the back. You know, and I was thinking, man, this is a beautiful car. Well, guess what? This car was sinking into the dirt. It hasn't been ran in years. You think I could jump in that car, turn the key, and it start? No. But when you're a redeemer, when you look at something and you want to restore it, you, you see the intrinsic value in what you're looking at. How this car could be put back on the road. How it could have a new engine. How it could be painted. How it could have bodywork done and everything look just right. How the, the interior could be totally redone and restored. And, and there's guys that will take a car like that, restore it, and make it better than it was when it rolled off the assembly line. They do it all the time. Well, guess what God's doing with us? He redeemed us from our dead condition. And guess what the first thing He did with that old El Camino? 
He put a brand new V8 in that El Camino. It's all rusty and it's going to fall apart, but he started by making an engine and put it in that El Camino so it would run. You know what that engine is? The Holy Spirit in His Word. Jesus came and paid the redemption for our salvation. He gave, then He gave us His Holy Spirit that is inside of us. we got a brand new V8 in our heart. And when we see Him, we're going to be complete. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And, and as we read His Word, He continues to sanctify us and make us better. And one day, guess what's going to happen to this old body? It's going to die. It's going to fall off. And I think that's an accurate way of looking at it. It's going to fall off. And guess what God's going to do when we need a new body? He's going to give us a new body, too. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Because this body will not stand up to His glory. We have to have glorified bodies that can stand before the glory of God and see Him in His presence that we can properly worship Him and shine back His glory that He's working in us. Are you guys getting this? Oh man, let's go. Come on. He starts off by putting the Holy Spirit in our heart and He he paid the redemption for us. Being a child of God is predicated on the fact that Jesus died for your sin. The Holy Spirit has called you into a covenant relationship and you have submitted to His authority through the Word and are walking by the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, verses 4-7 through says, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so that we might too walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we no longer are slaves to sin. For He who has died has freed us from sin. When Jesus died for our sin... It was judged, and we're released from sin's power. The devil would like us to believe that we're still under bondage to sin, and it's a lie. Yes, we still deal with the draw of the world and our sinful nature. However, we're not in bondage to it. We have been released from the guilt and the shame and punishment, and we are able to overcome the bondage of sin through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is regeneration through the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. When we see Christ, finally we will be delivered from even the presence of sin. Our sinful nature will be totally eradicated. And right now, this is a continuing process that God sanctifies us, sets us apart, and through His Word, we become more like Him. And it will be completed when we see Him face to face. And this is a very important and kind of a tricky part of Scripture that we have to look around through the rest of the Bible to properly understand it. In verse 2 it says, When we know, or we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And I think this point is that seeing Christ fully is a future event that will blow our mind, if you will. It will make us complete. I wasn't sure how to put that in there, but it's going to be something that's off the charts. When we see Christ, the sanctification process that God is doing in us will be complete. Seeing Christ has a cleansing effect. 
And both John and Isaiah had similar experiences when they saw Christ in his glorified form. Isaiah, interesting enough, is in, in Jesus' pre-incarnate state, and then John in, in his resurrected state. They both had similar experiences when they saw Jesus in his glorified form. Isaiah said this, in Isaiah 6.5, he said, Woe is me, I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts, Jehovah. You know, and this is a holy man of God. Someone who is on our scale, this guy, is, he's holy. He's separate. He's a prophet of God. And this is what he said when he saw Jesus. He said, I'm ruined. I'm undone. And John, his experience in Revelation 1, 17-18, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his hand right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death in Hades. A very similar experience. He just fell down and said, Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Big trouble. Moses, in Exodus 33, 18-20, had a, a kind of a similar experience. He didn't see Christ in heaven, but here he, saw, he walked with God. And he had an interesting request as he walked with Christ. He said, then Moses says, I pray you show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. It's interesting that Moses asked to see his glory, and God says, you can't see my face. You'll die. I think there's a correlation to that, to 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6. And it says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God said, Let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. When we understand God's word and it has its works in us, and we see like God's face, we start to understand who he is, it comes in and it replaces our sinful nature. It, it totally uh, takes us to where God wants us to be. And it's a process. We're not perfect yet. We will be perfect when we see God. But now we're walking with God and learning how to become more like Christ in this process. And it's, it's a gradual thing. As we learn about it in God's Word, we see more what it is to be like Jesus. When God's work works in us, it sanctifies us now. But when we see God's face, then we will be like Him. The point is there's purification that occurs when we see Christ I think there's a parallel verse in 1 John 3.2 when it says we, he appears we will be like him. And the parallel is in 1 Corinthians 13.8-13, which says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. There is knowledge that will be done away with. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. Reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, Paul was having a problem with the Corinthian church because they misaligned themselves. They thought that to be spiritual, you had to speak in tongues. That sounds like some other uh, churches around. But, but anyways, the point is, Paul brings them back and says, look, you're going to be made perfect one day when you see him. Um, and the question is, what does it mean when the perfect comes? The partial will be done away with. Well, that's when we see Christ. Because when we see him, we'll see him face to face. And I know in part, but then I will be known fully, just as I am fully known. Most believe it means when God's words come. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, because God's word, which is perfect um, in its inerrant, does bring us into sanctification process with God. But I think this is talking about something a little bit more. I think the problem with the reasoning of thinking that this is just talking about uh, cessation of tongues is that knowledge will cease too. Well, certainly we need knowledge. We need to grow in the knowledge of Christ. We have a, a need to grow in the knowledge of scriptures. In fact, it is the scriptures that purifies our hearts and minds. And we will discuss that later. So, so I agree that Scripture is a source of our sanctification. And I also agree that the Word of God is perfect and without error. So I kind of see the point. But I'm not dogmatic about it because I realize it is God's Word that brings us to the truth. And I think this is talking about something more, a time when we see Christ work in us complete and we see Jesus face to face. For now, God is at work in us. But in one day when we see Him, we'll be made complete. We will be perfect, if you will. And we are God's building, and he is building us up in Christ. And 1 Corinthians 3, 9-15 through 15 says, For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God which it has given me. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hair, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved yet through the fire. The day refers to the judgment of the believer. Some would say that this only applies to those in ministry, and that is what it's talking about. However, we're all in ministry. In 1 Peter 2.9 it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Corinthians 3.13 is talking about the day you're judged according to what you have done in the body, whether good or bad. And that's also restated uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.9 and 10. It says, Therefore we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, good or bad. And there it just says it plainly. On that day, we will see Christ's uh, face and Christ's judgment for our works. 
You know, and this is something that's not really talked about in the church too much. We talk about redemption, that's important. But we, as we work for God, need to understand that we will be judged according to what we've done in the body, good or bad. You know, we need to own up to that, and that's a motivator for us to do well. The things that are burned up are the things that keep us from perfection, the things that God is still working on us with, the things that we have not worked through yet. And Paul's reference to the perfect coming in 1 Corinthians 3.10 or in John talks about the same thing in 1 John 3.2, when he appears we will be like him, is talking about a future event when we will finally be made perfect. We will be made free from the presence of sin and we will see Christ face to face and we'll be fully known. Everything that we've done, our sin is washed away. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the works that we've done for God. And the things of our sinful nature will be totally obliterated because that, those are things that can't go into the presence of God. We will be made perfect because we'll be like Him, finally. We will see Christ face to face and we'll be fully known. And if we have this future hope of perfection in Christ, then we will allow God to sanctify us now. Which is the point? Where we're at right now. And in verse 3, of 1 John 3, verse 3, it says, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And the third point is we need to be governed by the Holy Spirit through the Word. Romans 8, 6, and, or 8, 5 through 8. And I like the different translations here. In the NIV it said, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And reading from the NASB, it says, from Romans 8, 5 through 8, it says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So it has this word here, at proneo, it talk, talks about the mind's inclination. And it kind of discusses the battle of the natures within us. You know, you have a sinful nature and you have a Christ nature, if you will. We have two Adams. You have the first Adam that you were born with, and then you have the second Adam that came when you received Christ. And these are two nat- natures that are battling within you. And it, the question is, is who are you going to be governed by? by? Governed by Christ or governed by your sinful nature? And you know when temptation comes. It happens to all of us. And then and what are you going to do about it? Well, we need to rely on God to help us get through those times and rely on each other as well. But the point is here they're making is our mindset on, on Christ will help us get through it. It will change us into something else. Being subject to the Spirit is a matter of subjecting yourself to God's authority and His Word. In Colossians 3, 1-3, it says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on the things above. There it is again. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. And Jesus said this, Jesus said it plainly, If you love me, you'll do what I say. And I think the question is, is is Jesus your treasure? Are you treasuring things in heaven or are you putting treasures here on earth? 
Do you have a mindset where you're thinking of heavenly things, kingdom things? Or are you worried about things here on earth? So how do we have our mindset? 2 Corinthians 4, or 5, 14 through 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us. There again, it's all about love. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who, might, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We subject ourselves to the authority of God, he can then build in our lives the things that he gets glory for. God gets glory for all his works, and we can work to bring him glory just like Jesus did. And it's really all about love, because love motivates us to do the right things. And it's God's love in us. It's not us. It's God's love in us that we reflect forward. So how do we set our mind? How are we governed by God? Well, here it is. It's all right here. Got to read it. Meditate on it. Study it. Because it is God's word that transforms us, that makes us new. In Romans 12.2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world. If you don't read God's word, you will be conformed to this world. It will happen. Because that's who we are in our sinful nature. It will drag us right into the world and you will do what you are conformed to do. You don't have a choice. However, if you take God's word... And it says, but, he, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind is something that happens because you read God's Word, you study it, and you meditate it on it. Just like when I, I read through that first part about does God share His glory? When I understood that God shares His glory with us, He gets credit for it. We're just re- reflecting it back to Him. That changed me. And sometimes I get in trouble because when I understand God's word, it has authority and somebody else says, well, I'm just going to do it my way because this is what I think about it. It's like, well, this is what the scripture says. Sometimes I get in trouble. (laughs) And it's like, I can't help it. I have to do what I think the scripture says. And let's talk about that. Maybe I'm wrong. But show me I'm wrong in the scriptures and then I'll change. But I get in trouble all the time. Not all the time, every once in a while. But we have to set the authority of Scripture first. And it will, if we do that, then it will have a transforming effect on us. In Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My children whom I again in labor until Christ is formed in you. And it, there's that word formed again. It's morpho. It's like where we get the metamorphosis word from. And in Romans 12.2, it's transform. It's metamorpho. It's something totally new. It's like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Think about that for a minute. My wife and the kids had like a caterpillar thing because the caterpillars were eating their stuff, so she put them in a cage, right? And then you had to go out and buy more stuff to feed them. (laughs) It was kind of cool because the the caterpillars started turning into these hard little, what are they, crystals or whatever, I don't know what they are, little chunks of something. And all of a sudden, a butterfly pops out. And that was pretty cool. We are kind of like that. You know, God has put his love in our heart. And we, we experience 
God to the best extent where we can understand through His Word and by the Holy Spirit. And we got the beginnings of His glory. His Holy Spirit and His Son is in our heart. And one day we're going to burst forth like a butterfly and we're going to have wings and I don't know what we're going to look like. We're going to have new bodies and we'll be able to stand in the presence of God and live. We're going to be changed. Big time changed. We're going to be butterflies. Kind of. Way beyond that though. Ephesians 5, 25-27. I love this because here... Christ is using the, the analogy of husbands and wives to explain how he loves his bride. In Ephesians 5, 25-27, it says, Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Verse 27, it says, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory. Amazing. This is what God is doing in us. It is his work right now in us and bringing us to salvation, working us in sanctification, then one day we will be perfect and we will be given glorified bodies. And it is the Word of God that creates life in us now, just like He created the universe by His Word. He creates life in us through His Word. So we wait for the return of Christ, because when we see Him, we will be like Him. He will burn out the impurity from our being and we will eventually have a new body that's not prone to sin, disease, or death. It will be a glorified body. The sinful nature will be, com- will be completely dead because we will see Jesus. We will be made perfect. But in the meantime, there's suffering as we crucify the flesh and as we walk by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 22 and 23, it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Sanctification is an ongoing event in our lives. As Christ becomes more and more, we become less. And this process will culminate when we we actually see Christ and His eyes of burning flames will destroy any remnant of our sinful nature. Then we will be fully like Him in all respects. This is understood by the example of the bride and the groom in the scripture of Ephesians there, when the two become one. But it's not speaking of the flesh as an earthly marriage. In this case, we are united in Christ in our spiritual nature. We are made alive and perfect in Christ. And this whole thing, this whole thing that God is doing is is a demonstration of God's deep generosity and love to us in Christ Jesus. It is what God is doing in us and for us and through us. And, And who would think of a scenario like this? Who would do something like this? God would. He's the one who is doing this in Christ for us. And I think if we look forward and have this expectation that one day we'll stand before God and be judged according to what we've done in the body, good and bad, and we understand that we will be made perfect when we see Him, 
it's going to affect how we, we behave now. Because we'll be motivated to do the things that He wants us to do because of His love. Because He loves us so much. And it's my prayer that we just fully realize all that we can now so we can be fully functional and obedient to God and doing things out of love. Last week when we went out into our community, I think we did that. You know, people saw that we loved each other and that we loved them. You know, and, and we prayed with people and we shared Bibles with people. And, and we just need to do stuff like that in our personal lives and together as a corporate group. 